Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, in which I talk about all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety, and of course, resilience. We are in our journey of resilience, where I'm taking a full year to explore all the facets of resilience for our children and teens, and for ourselves too. Today, I'm exploring specifically emotional intelligence, or EI. If you hear me talking about EI, it's this emotional intelligence. So what is it? It's really the ability to understand, to use, and to manage our own emotions in positive, adaptive ways. So with good EI, we can communicate effectively, we can empathize with others, we can overcome any challenges that we face, we can diffuse any conflict. When we're looking at EI specifically, how it translates into our kids, because I think that that's really important. And I know a couple of weeks ago, I had talked about all of the traits that resilient children show. And so same thing, we want to know what are the emotional intelligent traits that we can see in our kids? How do we know if our children have emotional intelligence? Well, when children learn emotional intelligence, they're better equipped to deal with all the different facets of life. I mean, the school pressures, the parent pressures, peer relationships, any of the big emotions that they experience every day from all of the situations that come up. So when we're looking at resilience, I mean, EI is so important and that's why, you know, we're focusing on it. It's a crucial piece of resilience because resilience is all about thriving despite any challenges, setbacks, stressors, traumas, adversity. EI really plays a central role for many reasons. I mean, first of all, EI just empowers children with self-awareness. So again, being able to understand and um, their emotions and recognize the impact of their emotions and then using that awareness to navigate all of life's up and downs with confidence, that self-efficacy that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Children who are self-aware, they can recognize what they're feeling when they're feeling it, and maybe even why they feel that way, even though that doesn't always necessarily, it's not as important, but they have that awareness, which is so critical for resilience, because then children understand what's going on, and they can process their reactions to whatever the situation is, rather than becoming overwhelmed by them. And so for example, let's say we have a student, Mia, who is preparing for something like a science project or a spelling bee. She's really nervous about the competition. She starts to feel anxious. Of course she does. That makes sense. Now, without any emotional self-awareness, Mia might not understand why she's feeling anxious. And she might interpret that nervousness as a sign of, oh, I'm not good enough. See, I shouldn't do it. I'm going to fail. It's going to be terrible. That misunderstanding could lead to more anxiety and negative self-talk and then possibly even avoid avoiding the competition altogether because she's so overwhelmed by her emotions. Or she might misinterpret those physiological symptoms as being sick, right? Oh, I'm sick. I, my stomach is all achy and I've got a headache. I got to stay home. So again, she's just going to miss the spelling bee altogether. So that's why, you know, a, a child who doesn't have very strong EI, but if Mia has developed a good level of EI, when she begins to feel that nervousness, you know, about the spelling bee or whatever the situation is, she recognizes the physical, physical signs. So that's the first step, right? She recognizes, aha, I knew you were going to show up. Of course you were. This is a big competition. And I know what you feel like. My heart is racing. I know why. I've got butterflies in my stomach. I know that this is nervousness. And I know it's temporary. I know it's going to pass. She understands what is happening in her body when she gets nervous. 
And she understands that her brain can't tell the difference between whether she's being chased by a predator that's about to eat her or she's just preparing her spelling bee. So she's got that awareness so that she can use her prefrontal cortex to say, it's okay. It's not a predator. I've got it under control. She's understanding her body. She's understanding her body is just trying to protect itself. So it's doing all of those things like pumping blood quickly through her body so she could run away if it really was something she needed to run away. And that's why she's got a racing heart. So with this, so first she recognizes, so she's understanding, right? That that this is what comes up, that these feelings are normal. This is my response to my thoughts about the competition. She's understanding that the feelings aren't going to hurt her right? She doesn't need to stay home. She doesn't need to avoid the situation. She sees this as an opportunity to use that energy that her body's created for her. Like, thank you for giving me all of this adrenaline. Now I can put it towards that big event. I'm going to use it up so that I can focus, right? So automatically she's changing the chemical composition that's the, you know, our body, our brain, depending on how it's reading the situation, it's going to send out all of these chemicals into our body to help us prepare. So if she sees it as a challenge versus a threat, all of the chemicals, the composition that's going to be sent out is for the challenge response to give her the energy that she needs for whatever that competition or situation is rather than the threat of, and then let's run away. So she's understanding that. She's also understanding, again, that the feelings are past. It's just temporary. She just needs to use them up, ride out the wave and not try to push them away. So she's got that good understanding. As Mia reflects on her emotions, she can acknowledge that, yes, this is nervous Nelly or whatever she wants to call it, showing up because the competition is important to, to me, right? And so, or to her, but she she wants to do well. Thank you, nervous Nelly. I know this is really important. So I appreciate you got my back. So she's processing that nervousness. Again, it's not going away, but she's processing it. And now she can acknowledge it. Okay, nervous Nelly. You know, I, I thank you. I see that you've shown up to join me today. Thank you, but no thank you, right? I know you really want me to do well. I want to do well. So thank you for trying to protect me, but I've got it under control. Hang out if you want, because I can't get rid of you, but I know what I need to do, right? I've prepared and I'm going to go do these things now. So come along with me if you want, but I'm going to go get myself ready. So that calling out is really important. When we face it and name it, we can tame it. So that's important. So now, instead of being overwhelmed by the anxiety and needing to avoid and stay home, Mia's talking back to the nervousness. She's keeping that prefrontal cortex online and doing what she needs to do. She might use some positive self-talk, you know, that was really weird, self-talk. Um, if she's learned it, she's reminding herself of her preparation. She's practicing the words that she think, you know, she might need. Whatever it is, she's going through her routine. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? That's what's important. What's next? That procedural sort of thinking rather than all the shoulds and woulds and coulds and, you know, what all the possibilities of what might happen. She's sticking to the plan that, that she's, you know, created for herself to be able to prepare. And finally, you know, once we have that recognition and that understanding and acknowledgement she, and she's feeling in control, now she can take action. And that's the next piece. She's going to go and participate in the spelling bee, even if she's still a little bit nervous. Of course, she will be probably 
through most of it, if not all of it, you know, those emotions and feelings are still going to be there, but she can focus on the task at hand. She can leave her, you know, keep her prefrontal cortex online. So in this example, Mia's emotional intelligence, again, recognizing, understanding, processing, and managing all of those emotions to take action that empowers her to face a challenge a challenging situation with resilience, right? Face it and thrive through it. So instead of being paralyzed by fear or anxiety or whatever other big emotions are coming up, like children with low emotional intelligence have, she can navigate those feelings, right? And she's doing so effectively and she's engaging in the experience constructively. That's the essence of how EI really fosters resilience because children can thrive despite the challenges, despite the situation, because they're understanding and managing their own emotional responses. So the EI is important for other important skills, emotion regulation. I mean, that was all emotion regulation that I was just talking about. And we know resilient children have strong emotion regulation skills. And so children and teens with that high EI you know, they can manage any upsetting feelings or anxious feelings. They can self-soothe themselves. They can cheer themselves up or at least keep living life and doing the things that they need to do. They can keep moving forward. So that ability to regulate emotions is key to resilience as well because they can face the challenges without being incapacitated by the big negative, I hate calling them positive or negative, but overwhelming emotions that just cripple them. AI also helps with the social success because emotional intelligence, it's not just about understanding our own emotions. It's also understanding other people's emotions, which of course fosters empathy. And we know empathetic children, they're better at forming and maintaining healthy relationships than those who aren't. And that's so vital for resilience. Of course, I mean, strong social connections, it provides them emotional support and them some of those emotional resources that children can draw on when, you know, times are getting tough as well. Children with the eye, obviously with emotion regulation, they've got better coping skills. They also tend to be better problem solvers because they can keep that prefrontal cortex online. And so they're more likely to approach challenges, again, as opportunities to learn and grow. And by understanding and managing those emotions, they can think more clearly. They can think more constructively. They can find solutions rather than getting stuck on problems and all of the what ifs, okay? So for this one, maybe I'll give another example. We'll talk about Leo, who's a 12-year-old boy with high emotional intelligence. I've just got my water. I got to move it out of the way because it's right there. High emotional intelligence faces a challenge when um, a PowerPoint won't load, right? And his whole classroom presentation is on it. And guess what? He is at the front of the class trying to load up his presentation. So instead of it popping up as... Um, you know, he would expect like it's coming up on the screen. He's expecting it just to come up, you know, but it's not. There's error, error. He can't figure it out. So Leo is in this really unexpected and potentially embarrassing situation. You can hear people shuffling, a little bit of giggles, you know, people are getting restless. So Leo's EI, remember, is high. So we know that he can cope with whatever big emotions are coming up. It could be embarrassment, it could be frustration, a combination of everything, right? Of course, he's going to feel embarrassment, and of course, he's going to feel a mix of other things. Everybody is different, but I would suspect there's some embarrassment, some worry, some disappointment, maybe maybe even panic, right? Everybody's different, but those emotions, whether you have strong EI or not, 
they're going to come up, right? We, we don't have controls and control over them necessarily, but with high emotional intelligence, he can recognize the emotions and everything that comes along with it, just like in our other example. So he's taking a moment to acknowledge it, right? Understanding, recognizing, processing, acknowledging, and then he's going to figure out what it is that he needs to do instead of panicking, right? So what's next? What's next? What's next? So instead of panicking or breaking down, running away or having a huge angry outburst, he's able to do all of those things. His prefrontal cortex is still online. And so he's in that problem solving mode. And so he can remind himself that these things happen, right? He's viewing the situation not as a failure. It was just a fluke. Something is happening, but it's a chance to understand what went wrong and how to fix it and make sure next time he's prepared for it, right? And then for sure, there's some learning to happen the next time he's got that presentation. So I remember once I was at a big conference. I, I had to travel quite a long way and my slides were just going on their own. And there was tech people and I'm like, what's going on? Like, are you guys moving my stuff forward? But it was like, I couldn't keep up with the slides. I talk pretty fast, but I couldn't keep up with my slides. It was like a two second and then it would move on and two seconds and would move on in two seconds. Now, if, you, if, you, if you're watching me, you see that I talk a lot with my hands. Well, I move around a lot as well when I'm up, you know, speaking and doing big presentations and things like that, I'm walking across the stage. And I had no idea why, but we figured it out. It was, I was stepping. And every time I was stepping, I was hitting my mouse in the computer that the tech people had. They, my mouse, um, the little fob thing was in the computer. So every time I was walking, my mouse was on that was right next to me on stage. It was moving my presentation. And so I learned, guess what? Now for any presentation, especially if I have to give my computer up or, you know, whatever I'm using it for the presentation, I make sure my mouse isn't connected, right? So we learn for the next time. So there's going to be a lot of things that he can walk through and tick. Yeah, I got that and that and that. And I'm going to make sure this never happens again. So with that problem solving mind, Leo starts analyzing the problem and trying to figure it out. What are some things that I can try? So instead of dwelling on the mistake and freaking out and running out and not doing it, he's focusing on how do I correct this? He's checking and realizing um, maybe he was opening the wrong file, right? But let's just say he tried everything. Who knows? This happens to me all the time. And I sometimes don't always figure it out. But let's say he's tried everything and he still can't figure it out. Maybe he knows he's got a backup copy on his computer. Again, he's still staying in control. He can now use his effective communication, explain to his teacher and classmates what he thinks went wrong. You know, he's clear, he's composed. Of course, there's going to be some nervousness, but he can talk about it effectively versus freaking out and yelling and aggressing or crying or whatever. Maybe he asked for a chance to try again. Maybe tomorrow. Can I go and figure it out, take it home, get my backup copy? I'll email you, teacher, write whatever my presentation is. But he's demonstrating that responsibility and resilience. So he's reflecting on what he learned from that experience. It's not just about the presentation, but it's about handling those unexpected situations and, and not giving up, which is huge. So in that example, Leo's high EI is evident in his ability to manage those initial emotional reactions to the situation. He could think through it and try to problem solve constructively, and he could communicate effectively what was going on. So his approach to the challenge 
challenge as a learning opportunity versus a threat really demonstrates that resilience and a positive attitude towards problem solving. And I can handle it. I'm going to figure it out. So again, he's mastering his emotions. He's focusing on solutions and he's turning a potentially negative experience that another student just might have melted and become completely debilitated into a successful and even maybe educational experience, right? There's so many ways that EI is important for resilience. Um, you know, I, I could go on forever. Another one I do want to share is that it really contributes to that positive self-image, that self-efficacy, that confident outlook in life that I've already talked about. We know that confident children are more likely um, the, than non-confident children, and they're more likely to take on challenges rather than running away or giving up than children who don't have a lot of confidence, right? It's all that I can handle it. They see those challenges again as, as a challenge versus a threat. It's manageable. It's within my capacity to handle it. I can handle it. And with that confidence, they know things are going to work out, right? So that confidence, I've talked about it before. So with the optimism, but it's not optimistic that everything is Pollyanna and hunky-dory. It's just, I know I'm going to figure it out. Things will turn out okay. Right now they suck, but it's going to turn out. So that confidence with that optimism, I mean, that's the cornerstone of resilience. It encourages a mindset, a growth mindset, right? A mindset of possibility. And even even when we're in that difficult situations, there's still the growth mindset and the possibility. Um, I'll give another example. Let's say we've got Emma, who's 17 years old. She's a high school student. Again, strong EI. <clears throat> With this, again, we know it promotes that social success. So she's known among her peers for a positive self-image and that confident demeanor, not in a narcissistic way. She just presents well and knows that, you know, even though I've got this little setback, I'm going to figure it out. So let's say it's the start of school, right? And Emma faces a big challenge when she decides to run for student council president. Okay, the competition is going to be tough. The campaign process is really demanding. I don't know if they still do that. My daughter was talking about it because we did when I was in school. Um, but she was talking about it the other day. She's like, what did you have to do, you know, to do this? Like, we don't we do not do this now. So maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. But if you do, um, she has a lot of initial doubts, you know, which are totally normal. This is a high pressure environment. It's really important to her. It's exposure in front of the whole school, right? So there's a lot on the on uh, riding on this her edge though is her ei her edge is how she approaches the challenge she's aware of her strengths she's aware of those areas that she needs to work on she recognizes her capacity in public speaking and leadership right so that helps with her confidence because she knows she already has some of those background skills that self-awareness also helps her understand the nervousness it's a natural response, and she sees it as a natural response rather than a sign of incompetence, whereas a student with low EI would see imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, what am I doing, right? I can't do this. She doesn't know what the outcome's going to be. Nobody can, and that uncertainty is where most students would end up dropping out, right? Because they need to be certain that they're going to win, that they're the only ones running. Nothing could go wrong. Emma, however, she maintains that optimist outlook. So the campaign, not in that she's going to win for sure, but she views that campaign as an opportunity to grow and to connect, right? No matter what the outcome is, maybe there's other pieces too, like she wants to put it on her resume and maybe even if she doesn't get 
you know, student class president, she's still going to have another role on student council. So it's it's not just blind positivity that I'm going to win, that overconfidence that I am the best and you suck. That's not what it is. It's grounded in her belief that I've got these skills. I've got these abilities that could make me a good president. I don't know if I'm going to be, right? And I have all of these experiences overcoming challenges. And even if I don't get it, I still want to be on student council. And there's still lots of learning opportunities here. So again, she's seeing it as a challenge and not a threat. Instead of being intimidated by, you know, the other competitors or how big it's going to be, you know, maybe she sees it as as challenges to embrace. Maybe she sees it as connections with other students she's never met before and networking and how can we work together. And so she's preparing diligently. She's working on her campaign. She's working on her strategy. She's looking to get feedback, you know, on things that she could improve or do differently. So we see that growth mindset. We see a resilient mindset here because, again, there could be setbacks. She's facing a huge potential disappointment, right? Maybe there's going to be a debate. Maybe there's criticism. Maybe people are mocking her who want, runs for, you know, for student council president maybe they're mocking her on social media maybe there was all of these things happening but a student with strong ei they remain resilient right she uses her experiences as good learning points she's refining her approach and she's not losing her confidence her her self-image is positive which really helps prevent her falling into those traps of self-doubt you know when things maybe get tricky or when she realizes she's up against some tough competition right so she's still going to do it so she's focusing on those constructive actions what's next what's next what's next she's improving her campaign she's connecting with more students she's staying true to her values she's seeing you know what else do i need to learn about to also be a competitive um candidate here so regardless of whether or not she wins the election, the opportunity, the journey in it, that's what's, you know, building her resilience. Her success of the journey is going to be the most important thing, regardless of the outcome. That's really supported by her strong EI, which is manifested in her self-confidence, that that outlook that things are going to turn out. She's going to do the best that she can. It's going to turn out. However, whatever the outcome is, um, the emotion regulation too, to handle all the pressures of the campaign and everything else. So she's emerging from this experience stronger. She's emerging more resilient, right? She's going to demonstrate a growth mindset, the ability to navigate those difficult cir circumstances and situations confidently and have experiences to draw from for the next time and the next time and the next time. Maybe she's going to be as, you know, as she gets older, applying for tough universities or tough jobs or tough promotions, right? It's just all steps that are going to help her. So we can see how that emotional intelligence really helps children and teens in all sorts of different scenarios. The young child who experiences anxiety on their first day of school, when they can identify and manage their emotions, we see that those students can face their fears and still go into school, still make friends, still learn and adapt to that new environment, building their resilience. High school students, they might be overwhelmed by all of the pressures. They they talk about how they're debilitated by all of the pressures that they have to juggle. But with a strong EI, they understand their emotions, especially stress and anxiety, and they know how to manage them. They learn the skills that they need, like um, how do I break down tasks? How do I cope with exam stress and test anxiety, right? They're maintaining that positive outlook on their academic journey. 
I mean, everything. Sibling rivalry is another one. Jealousy, right, is another area where we can see how children with strong AI can help them communicate better with their siblings, resolve any conflicts. They can build stronger family relationships. They're just all of those pieces are contributing to their resilience. So I think that that's really important. There's lots of examples where we can see how that emotional intelligence equips children and teens and adults with that deeper understanding of their emotional world, the skills that they need to manage effectively and, you know, interact with others as well. So there's a proficiency here that really helps them navigate their current experiences, even if it's a challenging one, and just lays that groundwork for really long lasting resilience that's going to support their well-being throughout their life. Um, one thing I do want to say too is that with schools, schools as a community, if the, if we see that their school and school community have high emotional intelligence, they tend to experience far less bullying, far less behavior and disciplinary problems and violence, far less drug abuse and those types of things in higher grades as well. Academic performance is better. You know, the, the behavior is improved. You know, all of these things are so much stronger when emotional intelligence is integrated into the curriculum. And so actually, I'll just throw a little plug in here. I'm developing a hybrid home and school emotion regulation program as part of my research program. So if you are an educator, definitely reach out to me. Um, right now, I'm limiting it to Canadian schools, but I will be expanding worldwide eventually. But for this, you know, um, next little bit for the 2024-25 school year, I'm focusing on Canadian schools. After that, if you're listening, you can reach out to me. Um, but I, I want to look out for this program. It's hybrid between home and school where we're helping kids develop all of these skills. Really, it's prevention from emotional disorders and boosting their resilience. So reach out if you are interested in how I can bring this into your school. I'm just in the preliminary stages right now um, and hope to do a pilot in that 24-25 school year. And then I'm hoping to expand. So even if you're listening to this, if I'm still around in 10 years and you're still listening to this, reach out because I'm hoping to expand it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This is my, you know, 20 years program right now. So the next big question, of course, is how do we nurture EI in our children? I will be diving into that in a couple of weeks. So don't worry about that. But just start thinking about, you know, how we can start nurturing this with open communication um, and conversations about emotions, things that I've already been talking about, right? We want to teach empathy. We're going to lead by example. So before I sign off, I just want to give you a tip for the week. I want you just to start with really simple practices, maybe having like a feelings check-in. Right. I've talked about emotion wheels and emotion cards. Find a way to integrate it into your daily activity. So if you're a parent, maybe excuse me, maybe it's first thing in the morning before you leave, you know, for work and school, or maybe it's at dinner time. If you're in a classroom, just doing a quick check-in. You could do it as a whole class or you can, you know, have students check in with pair pairs and then actively listening. That's a great place to start. If you're going to looking at, you know, what contributes to EI, that's a big piece of it. So again, just making a part of your day, class opening, family meals. If you're a mental health therapist, maybe it's the beginning of every session, which is a good thing to do anyways. So I will leave it there for today. Think about all of those um, pieces and how we see emotional 
intelligence manifest in children and how can you start getting them to tap in to recognize and understand and process and acknowledge all of those feelings and everything that comes with it to be able to take action. And it starts with those conversations and just raising the awareness in the first place. So thank you for joining me today on Overpowering Emotions. I hope the episode was helpful and has inspired you to embrace EI in your journey and whatever your role is. Until next time, keep nurturing our children, help them be bold and courageous, and I will see you next week.